don't we stand? I just have a couple of scriptures to read, and then we'll kind of dive right in. I can see that the time is uh, ticking rather quickly. We've had a great uh, worship morning, so I don't want to keep you too late. Uh, but I believe God has given me something, so I will do my best to give that to you. Uh, but let's turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Just two verses I have for opening. Uh, but Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And then the second verse is in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that they might receive the adoption of sons. That they would receive the adoption of sons. For just a few moments, I would like to talk about the subject of the power of adoption. The power of adoption. Lord, we're grateful that... Uh, This morning we had a wonderful encounter with you. I believe some things were put in motion in some of our lives as we were praying and casting our cares on you. And so now I believe that you're going to encourage and direct us here in the next few moments, God. And so we're expecting something to shift here at the end when we begin to pray together. And so, Lord, just cover me with your anointing and let our ears be open and receive what you have. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, You may be seated. According to the first scripture that I opened up with, uh, really, if you look at Genesis 3, sin has entered the world. And that is obvious that one man, sin has entered into the world. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we read a story of Adam and Eve. And here, uh, Adam is created and, and the Lord tells Adam that uh, you can eat anything in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So you can have it all except there's one tree of the knowledge of good and evil you cannot have of that tree. You can't eat of that tree. And so after that quick instruction, he then noticed that Adam was alone and felt that it was not good for man to be alone. And he decided to create Eve and every man in their living room and in this room ought to say amen. All right. A few of you are happily married. You can see me. I can schedule appointments throughout the week after for your marriage. Uh, But here Eve is created And uh, Adam apparently had a conversation with Eve and explained to her uh, what she cannot and what she can eat. And here the Bible says that the enemy approached Eve and began to talk to her. So my my number one question I had in this situation is why did the serpent, why did the enemy go to Eve and not straight to Adam? I think it was intentional. I think the enemy, the serpent, knew that Eve received information from Adam, which made it secondhand. Have you ever received a word from somebody that was just secondhand information that you just heard and and, and you received it? Oftentimes when we're going through something, God will lay you or myself on on pastor's heart or uh, maybe somebody on the pastoral team or, or a leader in your life will lay something on their heart to talk to you. And they do. And you'll be encouraged for a season. There'll be maybe some direction for you. But doesn't it take the enemy just a short while to approach you and say, did they really say that? Is that really what the Lord meant? Is, is that kind of really divine? Or is it just maybe you, you're fluffing it, trying to make it work in your favor? Has that ever happened to you where you know you had an encounter with God and yet the enemy came and he tried to distract you and maybe manipulate the words or change it and try to discourage you? Has that ever happened to anybody? I think the enemy does that intentionally because he knows he can throw us off our game. Because if he does, then this is what Eve said. Well, when he asked, you can't have anything? She said, no, 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 we can have anything except for that tree in the middle. That's not even what was said. It it was very specific to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
but she didn't either quote it right or it was never disseminated right to her. And so the enemy knew that and he exploited that. And hence we have the fall of man. Of everything they could have had, only one thing they couldn't. Isn't that funny what we do that, right? We have all this stuff and we lock in on the one thing we can't have and we botch everything up over the one no that God might give us. There are some principles here as sin has entered the world for us to recognize. Number one, when God speaks to you, whether it's through your leadership or through your personal walk with him, you need to listen to that voice and hold on to that word. Do not let the enemy discourage you or deter you from what you are trying to accomplish in the season that you are in. But now we know that the enemy will never come to you and he will never give you information that will help you in your life. I've never once heard of the enemy coming to anybody and say, hey, listen, you want to get your marriage to be right? Follow this plan. You're going to have a better marriage. You need to get a handle on your finances. Listen to this. This is going to help you out. It's always deceitful and it's always to destroy you. So when the enemy starts talking, no, there's nothing good that will come from that. But in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, now that sin is entered into the world, it it has created a gap between mankind and God. This is what it says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. In other words, now that there is sin that was introduced, sin will bring death, as we read at the opening scripture. So now the only atonement, the only way to pay And to correct that is through the blood, which we can go and we don't have time to go through the Old Testament uh, of all the sacrifices and the relevance of it. That's uh, an in-depth study there. But I can show you something that now that sin has been introduced, now that we have to uh, find a way of escape, and that is through blood. This is the first sin offering in the Old Testament in the tabernacle. Uh, This is actually for the priest. This is where the priesthood is being introduced into the Israelites. Leviticus chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. And he poured out the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and put coats upon them and girded them with girdles and put bonnets upon them as the Lord commanded Moses. And he brought the bullock for the sin offering. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the bullock for the sin offering. And he slew it. And Moses took the blood and put it upon the horns of the altar, round about it with his finger, and purified the altar and poured the blood at the bottom of the altar and sanctified it to make reconciliation upon it. The first sin offering in the, in the Old Testament in the tabernacle was Aaron and his boys. Aaron was the first one that offered up this, this offering and his boys accompanied him. Now look at the second offering in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, and it's in just a few verses later. It's in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 7. And Moses said unto Aaron, Go unto the altar and offer thy sin offering and thy burnt offering and make an atonement for thyself, for the people, and make an atonement for them as the Lord commanded. Notice the distinction. The first offering was for Aaron and his boys. The second one was for the people. What is that trying to tell us? I believe God is trying to tell us before you can clean up your home, you have to first clean up yourself. You cannot expect somebody else to do something that you are not willing to do in your home. Parents, if you want a culture of prayer in your house, you have to pray first. Grandma and grandpa, if you want your grandbabies to be prayerful, then you better start praying first. It never started with the crowd. It always started with the head of the house, with the leader. We cannot expect somebody to do what we're not willing to do. It starts with us. It starts in our home first. I can't expect my boys to have a prayer life or to be in the word or to make right decisions if I am not exemplifying that in my own home, if I am not leading that in my own home. 
I will give you an example in Joshua chapter 7. Here, Israel just defeated Jericho. And they were told that you cannot take any spoil from Jericho. Leave everything behind. And so now it's time for Israel to fight Ai. And that should have been a real simple, real simple battle. Matter of fact, Joshua only sent 3,000 to go fight in that battle. Didn't even deploy all of the troops. Just 3,000 of them. Should be an in and out deal. Well, Ai and they collide in Ai, and as you know the story, Israel begins to lose, and they get their tail handed to them, and they're on the run. 36 men died as a result of this. Joshua, who's frustrated, said, God, I thought this was supposed to be an easy battle. What happened here? And that's when we find out that there was sin in the camp. A man by the name of Achan. A man by the name of Achan, he took a garment, 25, uh, 20, 200 shekels of silver, 50 shekels of gold, Totaling today, it would be $25,000 worth of stolen goods that he had hid under his tents. Because of one man, he lost his family, and 36 people had to bury their loved ones for $25,000. I would be cautious this morning to ask who would sell their family for $25,000. Some of y'all might. I happen to like my wife and my two boys. I wouldn't sell them for $25K. And my son who's running the camera smiled. He's like, good thing, Dad. I don't want to go. But... For $25,000, one man didn't take care of his house and it caused his whole house to, to perish and it cost 36 other families to lose a loved one and a nation to lose a war. So dare I say one more time, make sure your house is clean. I would never want to put my family in a situation because I wasn't clean in my personal life. I would never want to hurt the church if I was not clean in my own personal life. But sin has been introduced. And in order to deal with Israel's sin, the priesthood was established through Aaron, and it was of the tribe of Levi. I could take you to Exodus 40, verses 12 through 15. And thou shalt bring Aaron and his sons into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and wash them with water. And thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garment and anoint him and sanctify him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt bring his sons and clothe them with coats. And thou shalt anoint them as thou didst anoint their father, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. For their anointing shall surely be in everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. This tells us now that only, not only was it Aaron and his sons that were priests, but now it became very exclusive to the tribe of Levi. So in order to become a priest, you had to be of the tribe of Levi. Well, go back to the first scripture we read in Romans 5 and 12. Whereas one man sin entered the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. So we are all on an equal playing field, all of us. I don't care what your title is, your background, where you come from. We are all sinners, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one, I'm not better than you, you're not better than me. We are all on the same playing field this morning. Every one of us, we are sinners because one man sin entered the world. But I am thankful for five verses south of that when it says, for if... By one man's offense, death reigns by one. Much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So if Adam can botch it up for everybody, Jesus Christ can make it correct for everybody. By one man sin into the world, but by one man we have salvation. We have access into repentance. And this is what I love about that verse. It's not that you just have life by one who is Jesus, but he will give you an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Aren't you thankful for grace that is fresh and new, for his mercies that are fresh and new every morning? Aren't you thankful that not only do we have life through him, but we have an abundance of grace through him? 
One man brought sin, heartache, and death, but one man brought grace and righteousness and life. But here we have a transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We've established that the tribe of Levi, the Levites, are the priests, and it has to come from that tribe in order to be a priest. But here we walk into the New Testament. There are 400 silent years between the old and the new, and then introduces Jesus who walks on this planet. And when you look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in service to God, that he might take atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Listen, have you ever been tempted in your life? All the time. This is what the enemy will do. When you are tempted, the enemy will cause you to think that you have failed in your temptation. That is not accurate. Because you are tempted, it does not mean that you fail. When you are tempted, you have a choice to make, and either direction you take it will either cause you to fall away in sin or become victorious. So I dare somebody in this morning to get it in their spirit that just because you're tempted, listen, not all of us came out of the womb speaking in tongues. Some of us have some past lives behind us. Some of us have gone through some things in life. And what I'm trying to tell you is when the enemy brings up your past and tries to tempt you with your past, you have not fallen yet. What are we doing in our mind when we are tempted? How are we handling the situation? Listen, I'll just be transparent with you. And again, if you came out the womb speaking in tongues, you can tune out for three seconds and let me go. There are times I get ticked. And yeah, ooh. And y'all know what I'm talking about. There are some choice words you love to drop sometimes. Man, there's some people, there's some bombs I'd love to drop on some people when they get in. I'm telling you. But I have a choice to make. As soon as that thought comes into my mind, what am I doing? Am I going to let those words fly or am I going to watch my language and I'm just going to behave like a child of God? I have a choice. I didn't sin by the temptation, but I behave the proper way. So now there is no sin in my life because I've taken care of my walk with God. So I'm here to remind somebody that he was suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. So if you are in a season of temptation and the enemy has been attacking you, I'm here to let you know this morning that you don't have to die in your temptation. You don't have to give into your temptation. You don't have to let the enemy speak into your life saying that you're already a failure and that because you're tempted, you're not worthy. That is the enemy playing with our minds. In the next verse, which is actually in chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Again, alluding that Jesus is our high priest now. In order for Jesus to be the high priest, he has to come from a lineage of a priest. But let me walk you through Hebrews chapter 1, the first three verses. God, who at at sundry times and in diverse manners... Spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. That is setting up his kingship. He is appointed heir of all things. Now Jesus is showing his kingship in this verse. Verse 3, who being who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins. Who was the only one that could purge your sins in the Old Testament? That was the priests. They would go into the Holy of Holies. They would go on your behalf and they would sacrifice an offering 
of repentance and there once a year we would be and their sin would be moved forward for the next year. Only the priests were able to do that in the Old Testament. So here Jesus has said, I am not only the appointed heir of all things, the king, but I will purge your sins, which makes him a priest. How do we know that Jesus would become the high priest and a king? Let me take you to Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. A king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And in his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord, our righteous. This is him showing that in order for him to be king, he has to come from the lineage of David, which is the tribe of Judah. So we've established in order to be a priest, you must come from the tribe of Levi. Here it's showing if you're going to be the king, you have to come from the tribe of Judah, which is David. Those are the two things that we have to keep in mind as we start to walk forward through these next few chapters, uh, scriptures. So here I'm going to paint you a picture of what Israel looks like, uh, rather the lineage of Jesus. I'm going to take us to Matthew chapter 1, verse 15 first. This is the lineage of Joseph. Uh, Jesus through Joseph. And it says, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called Messiah. So on the same page, Jesus, his father was Joseph. Joseph's father was Jacob. Jacob's father is Mathan. Mathan is of the tribe of Judah. So we know that Joseph is connected to the lineage of, J uh, of David through the tribe of Judah because his granddaddy was from the tribe of Judah. Are we, with, are we together? So now, here is the lineage of Mary, or Jesus through Mary, in the book of Luke, chapter 3, verse 23. And Jesus himself began uh, to be about 30 years of age, being supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, that is actually in reference to the, the son-in-law of Heli. That is actually Mary's dad, Heli, which was the son of Mathat, which was the son of Levi, which was the son of Melchi, which was the son of Jana, which was the son of Joseph. Here, Mary's father is Heli, and her grandfather is Achar. Achar is on, her, is on her mother's side. So Mary's mother, her grandfather, is actually of the tribe of Levi. So Mary's Mary's grandfather on her father's side is of the tribe of Judah from David's descent. Okay, are you following me? So if you look at Joseph, we know that Joseph is, is part of, of David's lineage. And now Mary actually has two lineages. On her father's side, her grandfather is of the tribe of Judah. On her mother's side, her grandfather is of the tribe of Levi. That is very, very important. Matthew follows the lineage of Jesus through the lens of the kingship. So in order to be a king, there were two things. You had to be of a descent of a king and related by blood. You had to be the descent of a king and related by blood. And so as the adopted father of Jesus, that's Joseph, right? We know that Mary was not conceived through seed, but Joseph was the adopted father of Jesus, in order to be king, the first thing is you have to be in the lineage of David, of Judah. Well, we can establish that through Joseph because he was of the lineage of David. Here's the problem. Jesus did not have an earthly father. Jesus had an adopted father. That is not blood relation. So therefore, Jesus was the rightful king to the throne 
through the lineage of David, but he could not be the king because he was not related through blood. Because why? Joseph was an adopted father. This is how intentional God is with scripture. But now watch Mary's side. Because God knew that in order to be a king, like we said earlier, he had to be king and priest. In order to be king, it's through the lineage of David. Well, now, because Joseph could not fully be king because he was only associated through the lineage and not through blood, that's why Mary was so important and the lineage of Mary was so important because on her daddy's side, her grandfather was of Judah descent, which is of David. So now, because it's his mom, there is the blood that trails back to David. So now, now Jesus is the legitimate king of the throne of David. This is why we hear the son of David often quoted, because it took the blood of Mary and the adoption of Joseph to make him king. Now, let's discover a little bit more on on the priesthood of Jesus. When you look at Jesus, remember, you could only be a Levite or you can only be a priest through the lineage of the Levites. And I thought it was excellent that when when God was handpicking and orchestrating everything that he chose Mary, because it is only through Mary and her being on her mom's side, her grandfather was of the tribe of Levi. Jesus then fulfills scripture by becoming the high priest and becoming the king of kings was through an adopted man and a woman chosen to be his mom. Aren't you thankful that God was so attentive to the detail that he thought of the right person with the right woman to put them together to be able to fulfill two callings, which is the kingship and the priesthood of Jesus. We would not, it would not be possible to have the adoption of Joseph as the father. It would not be possible if he did not have the foresight of what we would need today. And I'll strengthen that by Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We see this on Christmas cards. We see it all the time. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. You know the rest. Unto us a child is born. What does that tell us? That is the natural birth of Jesus through Mary. But notice how he took it further. He said, unto us a son is given. That is inferring the adoption process of Joseph. He knew that he would have to be born of a woman And he would have to be adopted of a father. That it really was that Jesus came from the womb of a Levite, but through the seed of Judah. Aren't you glad that it is a king king and priest and not just one? Because there are times, what are priests known to? They are known for battle. They are known for running the kingdom. They are known for law. And then a priest is known to work in the temple, to go on behalf of his people, and to offer up the sacrifice of repentance. Aren't you thankful that you just don't serve a God that is a God of war, that is a God that can just go before you, that is a God that can just go on your behalf and fight your battles? Because if he wasn't your priest, what would you do when you make a mistake? But on the flip side, if all he was was just your priest and not a king, and all you kept doing is messing up and he kept forgiving you, if he never would go before you and help fight your battles, you would be in the same repetitive cycle for forgiveness after forgiveness, the same repentance, the same prayers. Aren't you thankful that he can be your king and he can be your priest? He can do all of them in one. A couple of months ago, I was in a conversation with somebody about adoption. And typically, even my lens has always been kind of a negative connotation on adoption. When you think of an adoption, it's usually somebody that needs rescued. It's, it's normally a bad situation. There are, there are really five reasons for placing a child of adoption that has, over the last 10 years, when I was doing some study, that has uh, been prominent. And that is the child's safety is compromised. 
financial stress in the home, substance abuse issues, a child with special needs, and conception that was not wanted, therefore lending to a child that is not wanted. Those are the top. So when you look at somebody that is adopted or going through an adoption process, you tend to think there's an issue with the child or with the family. Remember when you had, especially if you had siblings, you ever hear the, the, the scenario, or maybe you have said this before, when you're younger and you have a sibling, you're like, you're adopted. Like, you're annoying, right? It's like, you don't fit in with our family because you're super weird as my younger brother or younger sister, right? Or you look at them like, why? Because you're, you must have come from something beneath us because we're so much special. So it's always looked at like, you're adopted, you're gross, I can't stand it. It's like that negative thing of like rescuing somebody from something that was horrific. But let's look at Joseph's track history as an adopted father. See, Joseph was a carpenter, not a king, not a politician, not a wealthy man. I thought it would be interesting if Jesus would have chose a king or if he would have chose, uh, chose uh, an accountant uh, a politician, someone of high, but he chose a carpenter. Why did he choose a carpenter? I really just wanted, I, I think Jesus was telling us like, listen, it doesn't matter what you do for a living. To him, it, he has no respecter of persons. Whether you work at the bank or you're a janitor, whether you work at, the, at, at a hospital or you work in the construction field, I've had this conversation with my boys multiple times. If you want to go to college and you want to get a degree for your specific fields, absolutely do it. But if you choose to go into trades and work with your hands, I'm going to look at you still the same because there's good money in it and somebody's got to build these houses. Not everybody can be an engineer. If everybody just builds up blueprints and nobody builds the house, we're still all living on the roadside. They're important just like anybody else. So there is no differentiating between what I do and what you do for a living. We are all in this same playing field right now. And God is trying to show us, listen, I chose a carpenter to be my, 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 my adopted father. But look at Joseph's family tree. This is one jacked up tree. Broken family. Rahab, she's a prostitute. David and Bathsheba, who we all look up to, wrote all the Psalms. What an incredible guy. That dude had a ton of affairs, murder. He was a disaster. And then you look at what Amnon raping Tamar, his half-sister. Absalom gets ticked two years later, kills her. Does that look like a great family tree to be a part of? Like, man, that's a great family tree. It looked like somebody climbed that tree and fell and hit every stick on the way down and broke them all. It's jacked up. But hey, we will look at scripture, right? And we'll be like, man, if I could be like Moses, if I could be like David, right? So man, them dudes were all messed up. But because we look at them and we put this on this platform, we forget their history. We forget their family. So listen, wherever you come from or however, whatever your situation is, it's irrelevant to God because he's looking at you. He's, he doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care about what's happened in the past. He is intentional for you. And so even looking at Joseph as a father, listen, I think it's in, it's in Luke chapter 2. They go to the Passover feast and they bring the family with them. This is Joseph, about 12 years old, right? This is where Jesus makes it to the temple. Now, now follow this. Joe and Mary, they leave. It's a day's journey, the Bible says. And then they're like, oh, where's Jesus? Does any, any parent ever forget that? You had your child, like, left him somewhere for a day, a whole day, 24 hours. Could you imagine what they felt like as parents? Like, I thought, like, nobody knew where Jesus was. Like, that dude didn't need a shower, like, in the last 24 hours, didn't check his clothes, he didn't do his laundry. Like, nothing happened in 24 hours. Like, what were we all, what are they doing? And yet, Joseph finally remembers, as a track history of Joseph, he wasn't that great of a dad sometimes. He made mistakes. And as parents, we beat up ourselves when we make a mistake. It's like, man, I think Jesus' mom and dad jacked it up pretty bad too, didn't they? They forgot their kid for a whole day. I've never done that. So I'm a better parent than Joe right now. 
I've never forgotten my kids. If you've never forgotten your kids for a day, give yourselves a hand. You're a good parent. Your kids survived. They're doing all right. But here we see that the adopted father of Jesus, Joseph, came from a broken home with his own issues, and yet he was still chosen to be his father. Which when you look at the adoption process for us, on how we are joint heirs with him, we become his children through the adoption process. Just like when Joseph was adopted as Jesus' father, all of a sudden now, Jesus had the right to be king. Jesus had the right to be priest through Mary. When you are adopted, you, be, you have the same rights as a child. You're not a stepchild to him. He doesn't look at you any different. He's looking at you like you're his child. There is nothing different. Listen, I've got family that I haven't been in contact with for years. Years. But I've got some close people in my life that I have adopted to me as close relatives, friends, family. Those people have access from my stuff and my family more than half my uncle's cousins and distant cousins. So just because you're adopted, it doesn't mean you're any less. You have the same value because you take on the name of Jesus. You have the same value. I remember my, a close friend of mine, Jay, friend to this church, Jay Campbell. He, uh, he pastors a church in, in Massachusetts. Growing up, uh, he never knew his father. And so Jason uh, knew his mom, ton of issues growing up. She had a very uh, chaotic lifestyle. And so when she was pregnant with Jay, uh, she didn't know who it was, just didn't bother reaching out to who she thought it could be, just left everything alone and tried raising Jay on his own. Well, within a few years, uh, between the addiction and in and out of jail, there's a mother in our church, Arlene, who had pretty much adopted Jay into the house. And when she adopted Jay into the house, that's when Jay started coming to our home church, Christ Temple, and, uh, and he started to grow and actually, our youth pastor took him in for a little bit. And so now Jay was adopted really by one of the church mothers and our youth pastor, which is why it is so important that we always give credit and honor to our, our next-gen pastors, Bianca and Kenzo. They do an amazing, amazing job. I'll show you the footprint of what a youth pastor can do when, when they adopt. And, and, and I'll go back real fast. I think when I said earlier, you know, you have to set the tone in your house. You know, you have to set the tone in prayer and in reading in order for that to be the cultural thing in your house. So I think oftentimes as parents, we drop off our children to Pastor Kenzo and Bianca and we hope for them to fix all our kids' messes. When, hey, let's be real. Like, what are we watching during the day? What are our kids gaming all day long? What are they doing all day long? It takes us parenting throughout the week. So when we give our children to them, we're trusting them for that hour that'll enhance them. But, but parents, let's not take for granted the responsibility of me as a father as a mother that we have to raise our children and set the culture in our home. Back to my story. You're welcome. So Jay is trying to find his father. And I remember talking to Jay as he was going through the process, trying to find out who his dad was and he could never find out. And matter of fact, he gave up and his wife, Jen, continued on the journey looking for his dad. And I believe it was maybe two or three years ago when Jay turned, he was either 39 or 40, he finally found his father, his birth father, proven, DNA, the whole thing. And I remember talking to Jay the next day. He was very emotional and he found out that his father was a good guy. His father didn't have all these issues. His father had a nice, a great family. It's a good guy. 
And his dad never knew Jay existed because his mom never told him. And I began to piece this story. This has been in my spirit for a while on the adoption, the, the power of adoption. And I remember going back to Jay's story and the conversation I was having with somebody just a, a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months now. On We look at adoption as this negative thing, as it's a bad, it's, it's tragic. And yes, there are times that that happens. But sometimes... God will remove you, not because you're in a bad situation, but your ceiling is higher than your current situation. And I remember talking to Jay, and I remembered as, as we were going through his father in this situation that could have been that Jay's dad could have known who he was and maybe has stayed in the family and maybe raised Jay instead of Arlene and our youth pastor. That could have happened. And I'm sure Jay would have lived a fine life. He would have worked at the mill like his dad. He could have made some decent money, raised kids, served in a local church, and that's great. But I think God saw something in Jay that was greater and decided to pull Jay out of that house and adopted him through the church. Because look at Jay today. When I look at this man, I'm looking at a man that not only is raising a family without the, the, the understanding of what a real father looked like, and he's got two great boys, a great marriage, but here's a guy that works for the city as a, fire to, as a firefighter. And matter of fact, he, he was just recently promoted to lieutenant. And it was just a couple of years ago that he received the highest honor where he received firefighter of the year uh, through our city, uh, through actually the whole district out there, because he was actually doing an inspection in a home. And while he was doing an inspection for the city back on the East Coast, in Massachusetts at least, if you're selling your home, they have to do an inspection on your smoke detectors, on your fire suppression system. And so he was in the house on the main floor. The third floor of fire broke out while he he was in there and he without any tanks without any support called it in and he worked the whole there were five units in this one building he worked the whole thing everybody survived pets everybody came out he did it without oxygen tanks he did it without everything the house was gone but the families were still standing so he received this prestigious award of firefighter of the year and now here he is pastoring a church that is reaching their community hundreds of backpacks have been given to children uh, that are underprivileged in our hometown that they've partnered with the city they have given this church it's either I can't remember now it's either 10 or 20 thousand dollars from a small little church has given first church about twenty thousand dollars to help us with our let's imagine campaign you talk about a man that superseded what he thought he could ever be why because it wasn't that god said you're just in a bad situation his father could have raised him just fine but god said there's more to you than the current situation i'm going to adopt you into the church because you're going to become greater than what you thought you could ever be I'll tell you one more quick story. I didn't plan on saying this, but if you look at our worship pastor, Draylon Young, out of a horrible situation, grew up with nothing, had to be adopted by his grandfather. His grandfather adopted him into the home. Could maybe the situation worked in another foster? Maybe. But because somebody was willing to adopt him, then adopted, fighting the narrative, am I good enough? I keep messing up. 13 years old, I've got so many issues. I'm daddy issues, mom issues. He's adopted into his grandfather's house. And then watch what happened. Shortly after, he gets hit by a vehicle. It's another sign that I'm not worth anything. Something hit me. Little did he know that would be the trigger to provide the means for him to go to Bible college. Little did we know that he would go to Bible college and answer a call of God. And now fast forward. This week, him and his wife and a team from First Church will travel to Indiana where they will put out another second album that is heard around the world. That is the power of adoption. That is the power. 
when somebody pulls you in and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to take care of you. So when you're looking at our Lord, he's here to tell you, like, listen, if I could choose Joseph, who wasn't a very good daddy, if I could choose Joseph, who had a horrible family tree, if I could choose Joseph, who came from nowhere, and I propped him up to be my adopted father, then what can I do with you? What can I do with the people of God if I could adopt them and what they could do? Stand with me. I want us to stand. So if you're in this room and you're trying to figure out, well, how do I know if I'm adopted to become this heir, to be able to inherit the kingdom of God? How do I know? Because you know what? I think we've proven through Joseph that any one of us in here are worthy of an adoption through Jesus. And so when you want to look at like, how do I know that I can, that I can be adopted? Watch John chapter one, verse 12. But as many as received him to him, to them gave the power to become the son of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How do I become born of God? I'll take you to a story in John three verses one through five. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus then said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That scripture, that is nothing I'm saying. It's what the Bible says. Unless you are born of water and of the spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Which in Acts chapter two, we heard the question, men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? And in 38, then Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you for the remission of sin. Every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And you shall receive the Holy Ghost. Mike just received the Holy Ghost. Just 915, Don received the Holy Ghost. It still happens today. So if you're in this room and you have never been baptized in the name of Jesus, you've never received the Holy Ghost, you still have one more opportunity to make that choice. Because listen, he's not interested in your past. He doesn't care that everything hasn't been squeaky clean in your life. He doesn't care that you have been tempted and that you have fallen. Because why? He is your high priest. He can forgive you of your sins. And he is your king. He can go before you and wage war before you. He can open up the way for you if you will allow him to do that. Now I want us to come up to the front as we're getting ready to pray. Maybe you've been here for quite some time. And maybe you feel that, hey, you know what? I've just done too many things in my past. I keep fighting the same thing. It's the same struggle over and over and over again. Made some poor decisions. If you've had children, then you know what that's like to have a child that makes poor decisions. You know what it's like to have a child that has maybe lost their way. Does that ever make you as a parent throw your family away? Throw you? No. They carry your name. It's the same way when you have been born into the kingdom of God, baptized and received his spirit. You are a child of God. You have been adopted. And now you carry the same weight as your own children, as my children will carry in my household. Never once would Jesus discard you because you've made some mistakes. 
But the enemy will keep trying to hold you to your past. The enemy will try to keep holding you to the thing that you keep fighting over and over and over again. Because he will do the same that he did to Eve. Are you sure that's what he said? It would have been different if Jesus would have said, I'm going to be the king of kings and never became your priest. Never became your priest. He would go before you, but there would still be no hope for you. Sin would be present. And if we reversed and he was only your priest, all you would do is fall into the same routine, the same ruts, the same mistakes, condemnation. And he would keep for you, but you would never advance. And out of frustration, we would give up because we wouldn't have the strength to keep going again and again. But when he looked through time and he saw Joseph, he said, there, there's a man from Judah. I can adopt him as my father because he's of the right lineage. But then he said, wait a minute. If I just find the womb to give birth and it was just a woman from the lineage of David, all we would have had was a priest. But he found someone that had a Levitical background and had a background of Judah. He took enough notice to put the right people together to pave the way for you and I to have access to him as our king and priest. And if you're here and you're wondering, how am I going to get out of this mess I keep putting myself in? I feel like it's, it's a repetitive behavior. It's over and over and over again. Then I ask you to remember something, that you are a child of God, that you can be victorious, that you can be an overcomer. He will be your king and fight for you. And he will be your priest and he will forgive you. He will never leave or forsake you. He will always be with you through the seasons that you are in. But you can ask yourself, why would he still love me? But I've made so many mistakes and this is why. Just because we are adopted sons, it doesn't mean he treats us like his own children. Because listen, as I've said before, biology does not limit the function of love. Family is not limited to just a function of biology. We all have people we're so close to that are family that you would give anything for them because you're close to them. You have adopted them to you. And so Jesus is trying to tell us this morning that it's not too late. It's not over for you. There still is another chance for you. And in Romans 8, 17, and if children and heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with them, that we may be also glorified together. This is the value of the church. We suffer together and we'll be glorified together. You don't have to suffer alone this morning. Just know that you are in a better place because there are people in this room that know that we are all sinners. There's nobody perfect in this room. But while we suffer together, one day we're going to be glorified together because we have a king and priest that is going before us. And if you're in this room and you'd like to take that next step and you're trying to figure out how do I get baptized? What is this? What does this spirit and filling thing mean? In just a moment, we're going to sing and I'm going to come down there. Pastor John will be there. We're going to pray and we'll move. Come find us, talk to us, and we'll give you what that next step looks like. But if you have already been baptized and you've already, you've already taken the adoption steps, then I want you to lift your head high when we start to pray and we start to sing. And whatever the enemy has been speaking over your life, I want you to remember that you are a believer, that you are his child, that you do not have to live in condemnation anymore. Does anybody hear me? You no longer have to operate in the realm of condemnation, but knowing that he is with you and he is walking with you, that you have access to the throne of God. Lord, I am asking right now, there are some in this room 
that know exactly what I'm talking about. And they're fighting their own mind. They're fighting their own emotions because they know that, man, it looks like it's just gone too far. There might not be any hope right now. But Lord, I am so grateful that you are presiding on the throne. And as you have set up Joseph to be your adopted father in order to make me an adopted son, God, that yes, you are my king. I am releasing all authority to you. There's nothing in my life, God, that I'm going to hide from you. There's nothing I can't run far enough from you because you are omnipresent. You see everything, Lord. And so, God, I am asking you right now as our king that you start opening the right doors, that you go start fighting for our marriages. You start fighting for our finances. Start fighting for the relationships that we are forging. The ones we have no business in, God, that remove those from us, Lord. I'm asking also that you go before me as my priest. God, that you forgive us of our sins. God, I haven't been perfect. There are things I've thought that I shouldn't have thought, things I've said I shouldn't have said, God. There are decisions I've made that were poor decisions. God, I am tired of living under this shadow that just because I am tempted means I am a failure. But God, I choose to do the right thing, Lord, to be submitted to your will, to be submitted to your way, God. And so, Lord, I am asking that your spirit begins to move in this place. And God, if there is someone in this house that is searching, they're tired of fighting on their own. They're tired of stacking up the, the deck against them. Can't seem to find their way. But God, help us to remember that we are your child, that you did adopt us right now, God, that we are your children and we have access to things, God, that I would never have had I not been under your submission, under your umbrella, Lord. And so, Jesus, I am asking, as we begin to seek your throne right now, that, God, we lift that to you. And as they begin to sing, I want you to lift your voice. I want you to have a sincere prayer with him and let him know what you need from him this morning. Remember that you are a child of God, that you are his children, that he loves you. 